tried to get me there, didn't you? Thought I was going to say <laughs> something that you could just start recording and instead, it, if you, I mean, you you can put in a clip of just yourself laughing if you want. <laughs> well, exceptionally irritating way, to, even more irritating than normal way to start the podcast. <laughs> anyway, hello and welcome to Football Unfocused, uh, the podcast in which uh, me, Mark, and my friend Matthew discuss football in a self-important, self-aggrandizing way. Isn't that right, Mac? Yeah, yeah. Well, no, that, 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 that's the, that's the MO. Mm. <laughs> Sorry, the, oh, what does MO say? It sounds for mission. It's modus objective. operandi, you fucking idiots. <laughs> mission objective. Incredible. <laughs> Christ. Right. No, I've heard people use it, like sort of. And you know. wonder what they were talking about. Yeah, so you thought <laughs> when they were saying, "Oh, that's his, that's his mo," that guy. They were, they were talking about that's his mission objective. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I when they, when like... they, now they use it to say like that's the way that that's the way he operates, isn't it? Yeah, that's yeah, his exactly. MO. That's his mission objective. You know, um, he's, he's cracking on. Yeah, yeah. It's not Thunderbirds. <laughs> you twat. Dear, oh dear. Well, that's one thing we've learned uh, this week. Uh, Matt, let's learn, let's learn a little bit more. Matt, what's your favourite kitchen implement? Um, I, I do enjoy, um, we've got quite a nice garlic crusher. Mm. And that, that's quite, that's quite satisfying. I think mm. just... Having something between my hands and squeezing it is a big fan of that that sensation. Yeah. So the Joseph Joseph one. So basically, it comes apart, and then the crushing element flips inside. So then you can then scrape out. So it, it's like an all-in-one. So you can scrape. I, mean, I genuinely think they all do that. Okay. And if you've been paid, if you if, if Joseph Joseph is your first <laughs> yeah, yeah. endorsement, then don't let me stand in your way. <laughs> I mean, they are casting uh, the net pretty fucking wide there if they've picked you. But, uh, <laughs> but fair play to them. I've I've always wanted to try and get in some sort of guerrilla marketing. Is that what it's called? You're, yeah. You work in marketing, don't you? No, I don't. No. Although no, you, you. No, I don't. Matt, what's your favourite kitchen implement used to cook with? Um. What's oh man, I I wouldn't even. I'll be interesting to ask what yours is. I know what yours is. It's like the velvetizer, isn't it? That's your favourite. No, thing. that's not cooking, is it? You f- like, a velvetizer, right? For, for anyone who listens to this, a velvetizer is a product produced by the popular chocolate outlet Hotel Chocolat, in which you put some chocolate shavings, at, or you can use conventional hot chocolate powder and milk. And you just press go and it sort of swirls it around and produces a lovely velvety cup of hot chocolate. Beautiful. <laughs> That's not a cooking implement, is it? That's like saying a kettle is your favourite cooking implement. <laughs> well, yeah. All right, then the toaster. What is your favourite cooking? <laughs> the, 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 is it actually the toaster? It probably is, isn't it? Well, now that with that that nonsense is uh, is over, I think that's that, that that here endeth my questions for the day. I did have some more, but I just can't. I just can't bear it. <laughs> I just can't. I just can't take oh, any give more. Give me Go on, ask me one more. What was your favourite album of the nineteen nineties? No, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're at your depth. Yeah, you're at your depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh god. So Matthew. The subject of this, I mean, at this time of year, if it's up to me, 
I'd be we'd be having a uh, I say I say we I'd be having a a well earned break from uh, spaffing out this podcast all the time, banging on uh, the the nonsense that uh, we end up talking about. But of course, there's the Euros, so you kind of feel obliged to carry on um, uh, for, for a few <laughs> weeks podcast. more. Um, but Matt, I mean, I'm assuming you've been all over the Euros, haven't you? So uh, what have you what have you thought so far? Yes, it's it's good. It's um, um, it was one. There was a couple of things. Uh, firstly, did you see? The, I didn't see the Hungary game, but goodness me, that they had a full stadium. Mm-hmm. Um, that was one thing. Uh, and the second thing, Is that it? you got nothing more to add on that. Oh no, I no. Goodness me, oh. the stadium was full. Yeah, well, I, I, I didn't. I didn't want to say anymore in case I started saying the wrong thing. I mean, I wasn't even entirely sure it was. In but it is. Place. I mean, I know your eyesight isn't amazing, but it is an undoubted statement of fact that the stadium, the Ferenc Puskas Arena, was full. Yeah, yeah. That Do you was, know who uh, Ferenc Puskas is or was? You ever heard that name before? Uh, was he a footballer? He, God, that's a good question. <laughs> well done, man. Well done. Was he Hungarian? I th- yeah, 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 yeah. There's no flies on you. Yeah. I'm getting warmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Hungarian footballer. I think that all national stadiums should be named after a uh, figure of greatness from that particular country, be it a manager or a player, to get as prestige. Like the Sports Direct Stadium. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but that should be renamed the Mike Ashley Megadome. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but I think, but I think that uh, like the Johan Cruyff Arena, like when it was just the Amsterdam Arena, or like um, it just I don't know, it lacks the the heft of naming it after Johan Cruyff, one of the greatest players of all time. It just makes it fit, just I don't know, it just adds a gravitas to the to a stadium. Uh, I mean, anything. Let's face it, anything is better than a sponsor's name. You know, I'm sick in my mouth a little bit every time I have to say a sponsor's name as the name of a stadium and. Those that have sold their soul to allow a corporate entity to dictate the name of their stadium, shame on them. <laughs> and yes, I'm talking to you, Arsenal and Manchester City and Bayern Munich. Dear, oh dear. Uh, but anyway, probably only be a couple of years until it's called like the Dunkin' Donuts Anfield or something. So <laughs> I'll laugh, laugh while I can. But anyway, carry on. With your, your, so you've noticed uh, that the stadium... Was full, yeah. And the second thing was, um, I was watching um, Germany France, and that that was quite. I thought that was a good match, although the commentators were just sort of saying, "Oh, this is rubbish." Um, But my favorite moment was, yeah, Ali McCoy was just like, "Oh, they're not, they're not really." But my favorite moment there was, I can't remember his name, Bardo. Is that his name? Bridget Bardo. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Was he? He plays on the left. Yeah, pretty bad, eh? Um, and he uh, he he had a chance. He he shot in the end, and it hit the hit the post. And um, and Ali McCoy said, "Oh, he should have passed it to Griezmann or something in the centre." And he's and Ali McCoy said, "Yeah, in hindsight, he made the wrong decision," <laughs> which I quite like. Oh God! <laughs> I can your, cut that down. Your highlight? No, 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 no! You will not cut any of that down. That was that was absolute gold. That's if that doesn't win us a Sony Award, I don't know what will. So your highlights of a week's worth of pretty good quality international football mm. competition has been 
there was a stadium once that was full and a bloke whose name you don't know on the left of France <laughs> hit the post and Ellie McCoy said he should have squared it. No, no, he said in hindsight he made the wrong decision. Right. So you found that amusing <laughs> because it was such a kind of... But do you think that was a self-knowing statement of the obvious? No. Or do you think oh, he, Well, he if genuinely... it is, it makes me look silly. He's made yeah, me it does. Silly. Well, <laughs> we can't have that, can we? We can't have that. Yeah, I mean, Annie McCoyst is one of the, in my opinion, one of the better uh, co-commentators. So uh, he manages to combine uh, uh, sort of general affability with um, mm. uh, sort of humour, the right level of humour, um, and football insight. But I have to say that being one of the, I know we live in a in a world in which you know hate seems to be uh, everywhere on the tip of everyone's tongue, but being a co-commentator <laughs> in a on a televised football match has to be one of those hapless, thankless tasks. You just go onto Twitter when there's any game of football going on and look at what's trending and whoever is co-commentator on that game will be trending and it will just be dog's abuse. Jermaine Genus gets it really, really bad. Yeah, really bad. Probably worse than anyone else. I don't really, personally, I I don't get it. I mean, I don't know whether people are objecting to the fact that he's kind of on... Ah, oh, just he doesn't know what he's talking about. He's got no oh, credibility, right, blah, right. blah, blah, blah. During the club season, they go on about all he, the, he's obsessed with Spurs and all he talks about Spurs. And then during international football, I think because he wasn't a top, 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 top level uh, player himself and didn't, you know, didn't uh, set the international scene alight, that somehow his opinion is worth less than others. I don't know whether people just, you know, someone like Danny Murphy, for example, who, who's got quite quite a kind of deadpan delivery. He always gets criticised because they say, oh, it's so depressing and he sounds like he's, you know, falling asleep and not up for it. And then you can't win because then if someone goes through right. it, like I'd take that over listening to Robbie Savage any day. I mean, Robbie Savage is, I mean, you know, he, he's, a, he's a nice enough guy, but he really is like just a, you know, a body with a, a quarter brain sellotape to the top of it. Like his his analysis of football is diabolical at all times. Uh, but as a co-commentator, it, it, it actually gets worse, even worse, which is uh, one hell of an achievement. He's, I mean, during a football season, he hosts um, he hosts six oh six with Chris Sutton. And I, I personally love Chris Sutton, the man who's constantly just having a laugh at everyone else's expense by being kind of deliberately provocative, but not in a kind of uh, not in a kind of way where you know he's um, uh, well, not in a way that he, he means it. His tongue is very firmly in his cheek the whole time, and he's just like wine stirring the pot and sitting back and watching an idiot like Robbie Savage fall for the bait every time. <laughs> and uh, and they, so that, they co-presented together, and Savage's. Deliver his style and everything. Everything has to boil down to a kind of a binary either or. So, say um, the the build up to the FA Cup final, Leicester win. So he'll say something like, "So who's the bigger club, Leicester or Chelsea?" And Chris Sutton will go, "Well, it's, it's obviously Chelsea." But Leicester won today. Are they the bigger club? No, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> but how does it work? What makes who's who say that? Leicester have got the trophy. Chelsea haven't. Well, a next week they're in the Champions League final which Leicester aren't, they didn't even qualify for. Secondly, there's myriad criteria as to what constitutes a big club. It doesn't come down to you were a big club today, but you lost at home to Bournemouth, so you're not a big club. I mean, but, but Robbie Savage is so dense that he reduces everything to that. I don't know. Maybe he's encouraged uh, to be that way, because maybe that's how you get people calling in. But anyway, 
Yeah, yeah. We digress because yeah. that's not really Euro related, is it? Although he was. Did you see the Wales game yesterday? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was and quite was pleased brilliant. myself. Yeah, I was quite pleased because I, I was helping Joe find out who Gareth Bell was. I told her she, <laughs> she goes, oh, he's good. And I said, yeah, he plays for Real Madrid. And she goes, oh, that's probably why. And I said, yeah. And then she said, <laughs> and then she also asked me, she says, who's, who's Ramsey? I said, oh. I think he plays for Arsenal, and then I googled it, and he does. He does. No, he doesn't. Oh, he doesn't. You, you don't tell Joe that, because that you know. He plays for Juventus. He used to play for Arsenal, but he left a couple of years ago. Hold on, how did you manage to Google him and still not realise that he's coming? No, I googled. No, I said it. I just sort of blurted it out, you know, in my sort of you know big man way. And you're showing off, you're showing off, Joe. Look how much I know about yeah, football. Yeah, 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 I know yeah, that yeah. Gareth plays for Real Madrid and that Aaron yeah, Ramsey yeah. plays for Arsenal. <laughs> right. yeah. No, he doesn't. But... Yeah. And then she asked me about somebody else and I didn't know who that was. And you were so... out of depth, yeah. But you were like, come yeah, yeah. on, like, don't complain, love. You know, I've given you yeah, some yeah, gold. Two out, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> two out of two so far. I mean, it's, if you actually read the small print, it's actually one out of two, but you're not going to do that. Are you going to take my word for it? Because I co-present a football podcast. <laughs> I'm an authority on this. Yeah. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. (laughs) By the way, the the fact that the Ferenc Puskas Arena was full, do you understand why that was the case? Is it because Victor Auburn doesn't believe in coronavirus? I don't know. That's a very interesting question because, yeah, because is it a coincidence that probably the most right-wing authoritarian leader of all the qualifying nations is the one that is allowing completely full stadiums. Now, allegedly, everyone in that stadium yesterday, was the day before for the Portugal game, um, had had a a negative coronavirus test or evidence that they'd had uh, both vaccines, was it, or or at least one vaccine um, in a specific uh, period of time. I find that difficult to believe. There were seventy odd thousand people in there, wasn't there? And I, I'm just, I just don't, don't buy that there was uh, anyone really properly checking that. And it just we seems get, a bit. We should get their health minister over here, I reckon. Whoever's organising those tests. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm surprised he's not getting phone calls from all over the world. Really. Chris Whitty surely should be onto him, saying, "Mate, I've just seen your stadium. What's going on?" You're doing a great job. World leader. Yeah. I mean, I'm quite surprised because UEFA, um, as a rule, tend to kind of, they like to do everything um, kind of across the board. They like to sort of control everything and make these kind of rules the same for everybody. Um, but they seem to have adopted a policy of just allowing individual host um, nations to dictate how many people they can have in the stadium. And uh, I mean, you look at Wembley, for the England game last week, I mean, there was—I think there was—they—there was going to be up to twenty-two thousand people there, but apparently there was only uh, about eighteen and a half because there was uh, uh, that two—that three or four thousand were going to be hospitality tickets that they didn't manage to sell. It. I mean, maybe because it was short notice or they were overpriced or whatever. So it does feel a bit mad that you can only have um, twenty-two thousand or eighteen thousand in a ninety thousand capacity stadium, but then have a uh, another ground completely full, uh, but it, it, it is so much better, isn't it? Watching a game when the stadium is full, even when you're watching it from TV, and 
so, you know, it's, it's a shame that that's not happening. I don't know what they're doing for the final, because obviously the semi-finals and the final are all at Wembley. I don't know whether they're going to be allowed to host more people as the things progress, because clearly this week we've had the news that the uh, the opening up has been delayed. The full opening up has been delayed. That means that that will now cover the entirety because the final's on the 11th of July, I think, isn't it? And uh, so that we're, we're opening up on the 19th, um, which is the day, by the way, on Father Ted, uh, that they um, they spent the first bit of the episode walking around wondering what was significant about that July the 19th. And they go through the possibilities. Dougal suggests it might be the day the Ice Age ended. Uh, and, <laughs> and Ted says, well, don't be ridiculous. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> the Ice Age didn't just end like that. And then when they actually look it up, it says, on this day, Marathon became Snickers and Ice Age ended. So... <laughs> We are we're going live on the day the Ice Age ended, um, and then Father Father Ted's uh, Father's Ted Dougal and Jack went on holiday. But um, but yeah, but because of that, does that mean like I wonder if that's affected the plan? I'd imagine that they were probably hoping to get more people than twenty two thousand in into Wembley on that day, on the basis that we were going to be a fully open by then. So I don't know whether they've got a plan in place to. So it'd be a shame for the finals to have it um, to not have it at least half full. Are you are you kind of buying into the hype? Do you think that England have got a real chance of uh, winning the tournament? I thought I thought France were really good. Well, the thing I, is, I, with I France, Germany, I thought Germany looked good as well. Well, this is the thing. I, I mean, if, if I, I don't, I actually think that was a good quality game. I think I it, it, it went a li- it went a little bit stale in the second half. But bear in mind, it's the first group game. But you look at either yeah. of those two teams, but particularly France. The thing that makes France so dangerous and, and favourites to win, and you know. If I had to put money on any of them, it would still be them. Is that they can um, a they can replace pretty much any outfield player with with a, you know somebody of similar quality. Um, so their squad is way ahead of pretty much anyone else. And b they can play well and uh, play badly and still win. Yeah. Um, which you have to ask a question about England. You know, like England. I suspect. I mean, time will tell. But I suspect they're going to be one of those. Um, teams that has to kind of be firing on all cylinders to get through a, a knockout game. That's where the, I mean, I, I don't, this might come back to bite, not that I care that much, but uh, I don't see them having huge amount of problems uh, against Scotland by the time you tend to release these on a Saturday morning. So Scotland would have been the night before. You never know, I guess, when you play, it's a bit like playing a derby game and things, form can go out the window a bit, but um, be thinking when we get through that and, even though Czech Republic were, good, were decent against Scotland. Like, let's face it, England are going to get through the group. They're probably going to win the group. But then you start hitting tests. And uh, here's an interesting uh, stat for you, Matt. Since the European Championships were launched in the 1960s, right, how many knockout games have England won? Uh, <clears throat> okay. So I'll say 36. 36 knockout games they've won I don't know whether you uh, want to have a little think about that answer again um, <laughs> if I'm saying there's 18 tournaments since 1960 I don't even know if there is yeah and they won two knockout okay fair enough right you're going okay. one. Uh, right do you want to know what the answer is should I have halved it <laughs> and, and more the answer is one they've won out- England at the European Championships they Firstly, they haven't qualified for all of those tournaments, but they've qualified for the majority of them. They have only ever won 
one knockout game. And that was the quarterfinal of Euro 96. And even that was on penalties. They have never won a knockout game at Euros. Every time they've got out of the group, they've gone out in the next game. So that goes to show the level of improvement required for England to progress through this tournament. And I think if they... I'm all right in thinking if they win the group, they're going to end up possibly with someone quite quite decent. I'll just double check that, actually. I think they've played the second place team in the group. There's someone at the door. No, there isn't. That was me walking through the door. Where have you got? Oh, it's my little uh, When Saturday Comes Wall chart. Oh, right. Which I haven't put on a wall. Uh, yeah, so they'll end up playing. So if England win the group, they end up playing the, the second place team in um, France, Germany, and Portugal. Oh, bloody hell. So straight away, you're into a, a, a challenge that is significantly different to anything they're going to face in the group. And this is the weird thing about the way they've structured the Euros now, because if they come second in the group, they then play the second-place team in a much weaker group, the one with uh, Poland, Slovakia, Spain and Sweden. So um, in a lot of ways, England would be best served finishing... I mean, you look at the World Cup, right, three years ago. Why did England get to the semi-final? Was it because they were in the top four teams in that tournament? Absolutely not. They, They did well, don't get me wrong, but they finished second in the group because they lost the, the, the sort of deciding game against Belgium and ended up being on the side of the draw that gave them favourable fixtures all the way to the semi-final. You could even say including the semi-final when you consider that on the other side of the draw, there was uh, sort of Brazil, Belgium, France, uh, etc. And, uh, you know, so France had had to sort of go through Belgium, if they'd made it to the final, they'd already knocked out Brazil and they'd have had the semi-final against France and then would have had the final against uh, sort of England or Croatia. Uh, and I think that you could say that's them getting to the semi-final on that side is a much bigger achievement than England beating uh, Colombia on penalties and then a very average Sweden team and then hitting a wall against um, Croatia. But I will say that England, there's no point being, it sounds like I'm being really down on England. But they are genuinely good quality. So they've got some really good players. And we've got the type of players that we never used to produce in this country. Proper, sort of, you know, low centre of gravity, technically gifted players. You know, people who are, um, who's got speed of thought, speed of movement, um, and sort of clever, intelligent footballers. We in the past, have always, even our elite players, have, they've relied much more on kind of, you know, physicality and speed and stuff. Whereas these players now, they're... Um, People like um, Phil Foden and uh, Raheem Sterling and Mason Mount—they rely, they rely still on speed, but it's more, more speed of thought as, mu- as much as anything else. And uh, I mean, they're just brilliant, brilliant players, and it's, um, it's almost unimaginable, really, that we're, we're churning out. And, and then that's without even considering um, people like Grealish and um, uh, Rashford uh, and Sancho and the lad Bellingham in midfield looks unbelievable. I mean, the guy to come on. So I think he's now the youngest player to play for um, England in a major tournament. And I think the youngest player now ever to play in the Euros. He came on at 17 years old. He's just so confident. Just looks like he's been there his whole life. That's good. And they are quite actually quite a likeable team, this England team. You know, they're all, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of Five Live while I'm doing the cooking. And they have this, um, the, the reporter who's kind of based in the St. George's Park with the players. And they, the, they release a, a couple of players every day for media. And they'll they'll go over and chat to her and she'll do do a piece of it. It's all very relaxed and they're sort of, you know, 
got this thing where they they call it like the Five Live Lounge, where they they get them to sing, and they're all really good sports. They've all been singing. Some, you know, most of them, as you'd expect, have got atrocious voices, but they don't care. That's so different to how it used to be. Whenever there was an England tournament, everything was so um, so serious, so kind of austere and locked down, and there was the, there was the mistrust between like the media and the players and it's completely different now so it's a fair play and I you know I think I would say I think that they'll go quite a long way but it, it's going to all depend because they are going to you know assuming if they win tomorrow night they almost certainly will win the group because I think if they win tomorrow night the only way they couldn't finish top of the group is if the Czech Republic beat Croatia and then also beat England which you'd have to say is quite unlikely even though they were pretty good against Scotland so, uh, so if they do win the group, they are going to immediately come up against someone, someone good. But that's what it's all about. I think you, you know, when you see a, uh, if you want to win an international tournament, you want to see the prestige fixtures and you want to see a team tested, not kind of scrape their way to the semi-final because they've played against second-rate opposition. But um, my money would still probably be on uh, on France, Belgium. No, Belgium, not as many. People have been talking about them this time, I think, because they, they've been going into every every competition for the last uh, seven or eight years, widely fancied, because they've got this, uh, you know, golden generation, as they love, love to uh, label it. Um, and because they've kind of fallen uh, short a few times, they're, they're being, they've been sort of widely written off. I think people think that their defence is going to be suspect because they've got like, older players. But when you've got... Um, People like Azard, De Bruyne, and uh, Lukaku. Surely anything's possible. They're unbelievable footballers, and they'd get into pretty much any team. So um, they're worth a shout still. And then the sort of cynical efficiency of Portugal as well. In that, um, you know, because that, Portugal won it four years ago, despite being quite functional, poor side who finished. Don't forget, they finished third in the group and only got through as being one of the best kind of losers and then just went went from there. Um, and they've got a significantly better side uh, this time. I have to say, I, I, you know, and I know it probably sounds um, like I'm just being down on him because of, he, because of who he used to play for in his younger days, but that's not the case at all. But I know he's one of the best players the world has ever seen and I know uh, he, he's like a magnificent, magnificent specimen of a human being. But Ronaldo did not piss me off. The other the other day, the beginning of the game, Diogo Jota cut inside. He's on his left foot. He's right down the middle of the goal on the edge of the area and he has a shot and it's saved. And Ronaldo was there screaming for the ball to be squared to him. And that's fair enough, right? That's, that's football. But he does it in a fashion where he makes sure, he, he turns and gestures, makes sure everyone can see what he's doing. Everyone can see his annoyance. The cameras always pick it up because he knows they obsess on him. And you just think, come on, man, you be a team player. Like the way that will make that that player feel, you're completely undermining him, you're making everything about yourself. It's just it's just rubbish. And that's for me one of the multiple reasons as to why um he is he will always be in, in Messi's shadow, because that's just not Messi. Messi just plays the game in this joyous, uh, unpretentious way like some kid who's just sort of, you know, stepped in off the street and just, he's just got all that magnificent talent, but barely changes his facial expression. And like, he could, if he jinked around six people and squared it for um, a, a teammate who then misses an open goal, 
he might look a little bit flummoxed, but he's not going to be waving his hands all over the place and sort of you know looking like he's going to burst into tears and making sure that all the cameras are on him. He's just going to, you know, he's, he, he's, he exists to make the team better, which is what makes that combined with the fact that he's uh, just the singularly most gifted footballer of all time, with a possible exception of Maradona. Then, um, yeah, but, but, oh, God, I've just made the mistake of going into the Messi versus Ronaldo thing. Yeah, that is, that's when you know that the podcast are reaching all time low. Just see, oh, become one of those twats. Messi or Ronaldo, Messi or Ronaldo. But, but, sorry, I, I just drifted into that because, uh, because of my little moan about, about Ronaldo. But yeah, Portugal are, are worth a, worth a shout. Um, and Italy as well. Have you watched the Italy games, Matt? Well, the one yesterday. Yeah, and the opening game oh, last Friday night. One. Oh, sorry. Yeah, last no, Friday night, going. the first game. <laughs> I not see it. Well, they, they've won both their games 3-0. And they... It's, 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 I mean, look, Matt. When I say Italy national team to you, this is I'm going to be fascinated to see what answer I get here. What type of football would you kind of expect them to play? Historically... Defense. Defensive. I got Very that. good, man. Yeah, Very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> is, is it? Yeah, go on anyway. No, go on. Well, Joe said to me, Joe said to me yesterday when we were watching the match, he said, oh, that goalie has been in goal, um, has played for them since he was 17 or something, and he's played every single match or something. And I said, oh, who is that? Buffon. And I think she was like, no, I think it's the other team. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know who well, it was. It was Donnarumma, the Italian keeper, who got in the AC Milan team when he was 17. Yeah. Oh, Buffon was the Italian goalkeeper for about 20 years prior to that. But he's recently, he's, he's still playing. He's, I think he's 42, yeah, yeah. 43 even. But he's, um, but he's not the Italian number one anymore. But he carried on until he was sort of 40 on. Donnarumma is the successor. But, uh, so I'm glad you had another factually ac- accurate chat in your house. With, uh, <laughs> with yeah, no. it's good. But they, they, but you're right. So that they are traditionally uh, a very very defensive team. Uh, you know, they even when they kind of break and attack, they do so in a very sort of cautious way. But they're, they're knocking the ball around like a uh, Brazil in 1970. It's all these amazing quick pass, 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 breaking out. Breaking the defensive lines, ah, oh, absolutely amazing. They, they, they last night against Switzerland, it looked like every time they. I mean, Switzerland were pathetic, but still, it looked like every time Italy broke, they could um, uh, score. And if they had a slightly better striker than uh, Immobile, they they could have won that game six nil. Uh, and you know, to win your opening two matches three nil. And another little fact for you: um, uh, Italy had never scored more than two goals in any match in the European Championship history before this tournament, despite having won it twice. Um, and now they've scored three in consecutive games to start this one. So, you know, they've got great players. They've got emerging, young, energetic players. They've got a tried and trusted manager in Mancini. So don't write off, um, don't write off Italy. Uh, and I'd say possibly... I mean, Holland have started well, but they still shipped a couple of goals against Ukraine. They're on telly tonight, Matt. I'm sure you're you're um, counting the minutes until Holland against Austria starts. Um, yeah. yeah, who's your who's your money on for that one? Uh, well, Holland, right? Or the Netherlands. Yeah, good, good, good. 
So in 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 absence of football knowledge or insight, you're just showing off that you know that Holland and the Netherlands are the same country. <laughs> <Yeah>. Brilliant. <laughs> Did you know that Holland is actually a region of the Netherlands? It's a particular part of the Netherlands. Oh, right. That's why. I'm, is like, it the whole part? <laughs> no, it's it's not that. No, that's why it is wrong. I, I often call them Holland, but it is actually it is technically wrong to call them Holland. Oh uh, right, yeah. I I won't do that again then. Well, you know, do you know that crab sticks have to now be labelled as crab flavour <laughs> sticks because uh, I think you're rolling in in nice size too because they don't actually contain any crab. Uh, another one of those facts next week. <laughs> right, good. It's time to say uh, continue enjoying uh, the football. Uh, and the sunshine, although it's apparently not going to last. And we will be back probably next week for another Euro-based football chat. Goodbye.